Hey everyone, Justin here with Whitetail Theories Podcast. On the back on the mic, uh, we have Serviceside Pro Staff Brian Hall. Check what's up, Brian? Hey man, what's happening? It's been uh, a long time. It has, man. I'm glad we were able to finally link our schedules up. You've been traveling, I've been traveling, you've been working, I've been working. It's been crazy, but um, ever since we did our uh, our turkey hunt this spring, but. Um, we were able to make it happen, and I hear you got some pretty exciting stories for us. Oh, yeah, I sure do, man. I mean, yeah, you're lucky you even got me since it's hunting season right now. <laughs> that, that's when I'm really busy. But, yeah, was able to, uh, I don't know how, but I pulled uh, two elk tags this year, which was pretty shocking to me, and had to figure out all the logistics associated with that. But we have two one kind of a success story and one really good success story to talk about today. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I, uh, I, I've seen you that you've been going out West a lot. Elk has pretty much been what's on the menu for you. Um, and you know, capitalizing on that. I mean, if you, if you can pull two tags, man, you're able to do it. You know, it, why not try to capitalize on it? I, I know this year I got a few opportunities presented to me and I was like, you know what? I can make this work. It's going to be tight. It's going to suck. I got one flight that's an eight hour layover in the middle of the night, which was awful, but it saved me about 650 bucks. So I was like, I'll take it. (laughs) I think my time is valuable, but 650 bucks, I think for an hour is a little bit more valuable. So eight hours. So, um, yeah. So, so the thing with this was, so I have this spreadsheet, right? And I have this spreadsheet built out for, you know, elk, mule deer, antelope, moose, pretty much all the things you need to draw tags for, all the different states, all the different points that I have, and based off of the statistics, when I expect to draw these tags. So, you know, I was looking at, this was months ago, I was looking at my spreadsheet and what units I'm going to apply for and everything, and what states and all that. And uh, I had four points in Wyoming for elk. And I'm like, okay, if I apply here, I'm definitely going to draw this tag. So I was really banking on drawing Wyoming. And I'll typically apply for a bunch of tags in other states, knowing that I'm not going to draw because I need a, a lot of points right, right. Um, have to, to draw that. So I'll apply for different states. And when I don't get the tag, I'll get a point. So... Um, you know, one of those just happened to be New Mexico that I applied for, not expecting to get the tag, but still applying for it. Um, and, uh, I got the notification that I actually didn't draw Wyoming, which I was pretty surprised about. So I just called my cousin up who lives in Colorado and like said, Hey, I didn't get my Wyoming tag. I'm just going to get the over the counter archery tag. Like I do, you know, every other year or so and come out and hunt with you. And he said, okay, cool. Um, so right after that, I got a notification that I drew this tag in New Mexico and I'm like, what the heck? So I pulled up my spreadsheet. I wasn't supposed to draw this tag for another like five years. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, so I'm like, Oh, Holy crap. And, and like the thing, the thing with these tags are is that it's, it's not like, 
you really have a choice whether you're going to accept the tags once you draw or not. Once you draw, they're your tags. Right, like, right. I, Same here. I already bought the tag in Colorado, and, you know, these elk tags are not cheap for non-residents. I mean, they're pretty expensive. So I think the Colorado tag is $700, and then the New Mexico tag was like $530. So I'm like, I'm not going to not go on one of these hunts after I already, you know, paid for for these tags so had to had to figure that out and it was pretty shocking that i drew that new mexico tag but um you know at the end of the day it was a it was an awesome experience but yeah so my spreadsheet's all screwed up now and now i gotta figure out how i'm gonna how i'm gonna readjust it to make sure i can still pull tags each year <laughs> you know and that was that's actually uh a webinar we're gonna have to get to eventually i've been having so many people reach out to me and i'm like well you know brian's one of those people he don't mind sharing a little bit of the secret sauce you'll start to put the work in and stuff but um that's something that a lot of people don't know about is like tag systems and and the and kind of i guess i'm gonna call it the science behind it and the math behind it but um yep i'm glad that you were able to get that and then obviously come out successful but so let's talk about Colorado first. What? Let, let's just jump into that. Tell us about Colorado. You get out there. Is this your first time going out to that state? No, no. I've I've killed four other elk in Colorado. Okay. Pat, um, and uh, I've hunted I've hunted all different areas of Colorado. Um, I was trying to make this hunt as cheap as possible. So I'm pretty fortunate to have family out there. Uh, my cousin lives out there and I go hunting with him all the time, which is, which is really nice. Um, and there's, there's a lot of advantages to it as well. Uh, because I could crash at his place. I could fly out there. You know, he, he picks me up from the airport, so I don't got to worry about a rental car or anything like that. And oh, yeah. the, the biggest advantage is that whenever I kill one, it goes into his freezer and he drives home for Christmas or, you know, for a holiday at least once a year and he'll just drive the meat back for me. So I don't got to worry about the logistics of that. But yeah, you know, I've, I've done that in the past with uh, flying and all that, but um, we could, we could talk about that another time on, you know, how you could cheapen up these hunts. Cause I know a lot of people, they want to go out and hunt elk or hunt mule deer out West and, you know, it's it's very financially burdensome to, you know, do it sometimes, but there's definitely cheap ways to do it. And I started going out west as, you know, a really young kid with my family and then, you know, getting into different big game hunting out west and, and going out myself as a poor college kid. I I did everything I could to, you know, cheapen up these hunts and, you know, still be able to make it happen with the with the small budget that I had. So. Yeah, no, it can definitely be done. I'm actually documenting um, all my hunt links this year. I have a, a, quite a bit and and was able to make it happen. And, and I actually, um, what I did was I have like separate credit cards that I never use. I, you know, they've been paid off for a while now. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, once you reach that 30, you start coming out of that credit card debt from those younger years. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> once you get out, they like to give you more money. But what I do is I actually have a card and... And uh, we won't go crazy into it now, but it'll definitely be a great episode. But I, I put it on that, and I'm actually showcasing in real time 
um, each charge for the tags and the plane ticket mm-hmm. and all that. And I put it on one specific card so that I can almost itemize it for everyone in real time with the dates and, and all that stuff. And um, I'm doing the same thing, man, because it can be done for cheaper. And people don't realize, man, something as small as taking $25, $50 out of your check each each paycheck or, or however you get paid um, can can be done. Uh, you know, we've learned that with like 401ks and retirement plans and stuff. Like if the money gets taken out pre going into your hand, <laughs> can usually yep. you can usually yep. survive. But um, having that networking system, man, that's one that's one great thing about service side. But luckily, you have a yeah. family member. It's it's that hunt link of you wouldn't believe just being able to not buy a hotel room and someone picking you up. You've already saved oh. almost a thousand dollars or less. Oh yeah, easily. I mean, you know, I could do I could do some of these elk hunts for fifteen hundred dollars all in or less. And seven hundred of that is just the tag. So all the travel and everything is, you know, less than a thousand dollars. So that so, comes out to a hundred and twenty five dollars a month that you would have to put back pretty much. Yeah, that's it. That's I mean, not much. Divided four, by four, thirty dollars a week is what it costs you. Yeah, so you could you could easily do an elk hunt and be successful for under two grand, and then mule deer is even mule deer or antelope or even if you do both is even cheaper than that because the tags are cheaper. Well, you know in the system too, you know once you that's where that doing your homework is like huge. Like you can get on Facebook and watch YouTube videos and be on social media and all that stuff, but you're only gonna learn so much. And obviously, you're always gonna learn more from a local or someone that's from that state, but. You know, those little, those little, little, uh, like I never knew Hawaii, the tag for gun hunting is really expensive. And then the tag for bow hunting is like, I think he said it was like $5 or $10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's crazy to, to do a point, to get your points. Um, and then same thing though, if you get drawn, you kind of have to go like your money's already taken. But, you know, I know here, if you, if you put in for Gator, it's 285 for a resident, you know whether you go or not, that two eighty five comes out when you get drawn. Right, right. But but <clears throat> yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to do it, and um, you know, Colorado is a is a great opportunity state, especially for people who've never hunted elk before, because Colorado has the highest population of elk in the country. Now they are the most pressured elk, um, but um, you could pretty much pick a chunk of public land in colorado up in the rockies and you know you'll get into them if you work hard enough so that's that's where i've really started elk hunting and and have most of my experience so you know it's been it's been really good for me i've i've had what four five now five tags in colorado for elk and i've filled four of them so you know pretty grateful for that um and uh, this one, this one was my first archery bull two years ago. I went out there and I didn't get a bull with the bow, but I, I got a cow with the bull, um, which that was my first elk with the bow. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a completely different experience than hunting with the rifle. It's, it's actually very similar to how you would hunt spring turkeys, oh, but, okay. uh, but it's, it's action packed and full of, full of fun, man. Um, yeah, I I really enjoyed the the archery experience. Um, we'll get we'll get right into it. Yeah, so. man, I'm excited. I'm I'm ready to hear about it, especially because it you know it was it's one of those stories where like 
it sounds like even though it's fun and a great experience and you learned a lot at the end of the day it does suck um you know if if things don't pan out but then being successful you know sticking through and being successful so this is gonna be a really good one yeah yeah absolutely um so we went out there well i went out there for the uh the first week of the season so my cousin works the that uh I forget what they call it, but it's that shift work where, you know, you have different days on, different days off. Right. But there's usually one week out of the month where you've got a seven-day off period. And that, that just so happened to fall on the first week of elk archery season in Colorado this year. So that's what we targeted. Uh, I planned on being out there for 10 days. So went out there for the first day and... um we uh we were hunting uh up in the rockies there <clears throat> and uh right right near where he lives usually we uh usually we'll drive to a new unit or something that we've never gone to before and you know spend seven days backpacking up in there but um you know because of everything that was going on this year we just decided to um hunt near where he lives and uh so we uh we ended up the first like three days or so just checking out different areas and deciding you know since we were pretty close to his house we were gonna you know check out a few different areas see where the elk are go and find them and then once we found once we found the elk we pack up all our stuff and backpack in there and, and hunt that area for the rest of the week so first day uh we tried out a spot where i've had really good success in the past and um it was it was pretty interesting he set some trail cameras up there and uh every single day we had elk coming into these trail cameras they were they were passing through at least once a day couple nice bulls actually and a bunch of cows and uh what was very interesting so this this area is not far from like one of those really rich developments um you know up in the mountains there and it's a it's a big chunk of public land and then that that development butts up against it well there wasn't a single person on this trail camera except for like three days before the season and that we got one picture of this lady walking her dog like <sighs> she must have she must have lost the trail or something we have no idea what she was doing there because there was no trail or anything this one picture of this lady walking her dog and then there wasn't a single single picture of an elk on that camera since that lady walked by really and i don't i don't know if it had to do with that i don't but it was just really weird how you know there were elk on that trail camera every single day and then all of a sudden after that lady walks by with her dog there were five straight days of no elk on the camera it almost makes me think like there really isn't a huge person population so once she did get there i mean it's too much of a coincidence not to th not to feel that way and especially with a dog imagine all that scent oh yeah it you know it yeah. probably scat all over the place it was probably rolling and its hairs touching vegetation yep. and so that was pretty interesting but we yeah, hunted yeah. that we hunted that area the the entire day there were tons of elk sign all over the place but uh we didn't really get into anything and we 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 looked at the onyx maps we spent some time you know seeing all right if they did get 
if they did up and leave this area, um, you know, where, where would they likely go? So we picked a couple of spots where we thought they might've, you know, just got up and left. And one thing to understand about these elk in Colorado, and it's, it's pretty common everywhere is they move a lot. So one thing, one thing you'll know, notice when you go out there and you start hunting them, if you see them, they're only going to be there for like a day or two, and then they're just going to be gone. And you won't see them for another like seven days. So they have these big loops that they make and they spend time in different areas. Um, so once you find them they're you better get on them cause they're only going to be there for a day or two. And then you got to figure out where they go. Um, they, they typically just because of the pressure, they don't hang out in the same areas all that often. Um, especially where I hunt in Colorado. So, we were thinking too that you know they might have been hanging out here you know in that spot just because it was kind of safe then they started you know getting some pressure a little bit of pressure and then they just started their their big loops um because i i figured that they'd come back in you know probably a week or so but by that time i'd be i'd be gone so we were just gonna take that area and and call it um you know a loss but we ended up looking at the maps and uh, we hiked ourselves all the way over to this other area. It's about, you know, seven to 10 miles away from where we, uh, we were hunting that first day. Went up there the second day and we found them. I mean, we got within the first hour, um, we got into, uh, we got into some elk and I actually, um, I walked right up onto a di- nice bull and I wasn't paying attention and he took off right in front of me, a little frustrating, but, uh, it happens. And then we were, we were walking around. Um, we got into him a couple of times. It's just, they I think it was a little bit, a little bit too early in the season. I mean, we were calling in, calling in cows and, you know, we called in a spike and all that stuff, but you know, the, the mature bulls really weren't that interested into, into what was going on. So a little bit early, uh, I think for, you know, some good call action on the second day, but then it got, got really cold the next couple of days. And, um, you know, we spent, we spent three days in this area, just kind of following around, but we just could never get on top of them to, you know, get set up good enough to, to make a shot on one. So after three days, we decided to hop out of there and go try out another area that, uh, that I've had success in the past. And my cousin had had success there as well. So we get there and it's, it's pretty funny. My cousin, we have this glassing spot, right? And, uh, we, we hike into this glassing spot and, Every time my cousin goes there by himself, he doesn't see anything. Like, he'll go there at least, you know, a couple times a week because it's really easy to get to. And, like, when he gets out of work or something or before work, it's really easy for him to, you know, just go up there and glass for a half hour, 45 minutes. And uh, he never sees anything there. But every single time he takes me to this glassing spot, we find elk. It's, It's pretty funny. And he gets so mad that <laughs> the only time he ever sees elk is when I go up there. I'm like, you're probably just not looking hard enough. For you're, you're a good luck. That's huh? the, that's the running joke. You need my eye 
to find that out. <laughs> yeah, you need my eyes. <laughs> they, so they hear his no, truck coming. They just hide. Yeah. So no joke. We get up there, and it, it was it was pretty late, and we're not there for thirty seconds. Like he sat down to eat a granola bar. And I just put my binoculars up. I'm like, oh, there's a bunch of elk. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. <laughs> so um, we're watching them. There's uh, there's three bulls in this herd. One uh, one herd bull, and he's got two. I th- actually, I think it was three satellites, satellite bulls. Um, for those of you who don't understand what I'm saying there is, so – you know, during the archery season, it's it's the rut. So the elk gather all these cows together. And um, there's a herd bull, which is typically the biggest or most aggressive bull, who keeps his cows in check. And then satellite bulls are bulls who, you know, are basically like a satellite all around this group of cows and the herd bull. And they try to sneak in and... and grab some of the cows but usually the herd bull fights them off or or things like that um so typically when you're when you're hunting archery um it's a lot easier to um work a satellite bull because if you cow call to them that kind of signifies a a cow that's left the herd so these satellite bulls are going to run off and and try and take advantage of that situation while the herd bull is still attending to his larger group of cows. Um, now, typically these satellite bulls, they're smaller, uh, but not all the time. Uh, but usually the herd bull is the biggest and, and most aggressive. So if, uh, if you want a really big elk, um, it's a lot harder and, um, it's hard for you to call off a herd bull from his cows, but, it's a lot easier to do that for these satellite bulls that I'm talking about. So, um, you know, they were, they were pretty far out though, and we didn't have enough time to, you know, go take advantage of that situation that evening. So, uh, we marked them, uh, and, you know, went back and had a good night's rest and woke up early in the morning, went to that same glassing spot so we could refine them. And sure enough, right at first light, we get up there and we found them again. And, uh, you know, we did a couple cow calls and, and you could tell that the, the three satellite bulls, they were super interested. The, the, uh, the herd bull was bugling like crazy. Every time he call, he was, he was, you know, you could see him raking trees. He was getting angry. I'm like, okay, this is, this is going to happen today. This is, this is pretty good. So, we make this, that was probably a mile long stock into them. And uh, the the three satellite bulls left the herd with the herd bull and the cows. So we looped around and uh, we started cow calling. And, um, you know, it's, it's really advantageous to have two people when you're archery elk hunting. Um, because elk are, they're, although their eyesight's not great, they are visual they do rely on their vision, um, you know, when you're calling them in. So they're, they're really good at understanding exactly where the calls are coming from. Right. So if you're by yourself and you're cow calling into this open area, the elk is going to come right to the edge of that open area and look for the cow. Right. And if it see the cow, it's not going to come 
out into the opening. So that's very so, similar to turkey hunting then. Yes. Yep. Yep. So if you have a if you have a collar that's fifty yards behind you where that elk thinks, oh, the cow's back into the woods a little bit more, he'll come out in that opening and try and pass you to get a visual of that cow. So we set up and I set up right in this open spot, um, up on this it was you know, on a hillside. And uh, my cousin was about 40 yards back, and he was cow calling. Well, this bull is just screaming. And actually, you know, he was he was actually bigger than the herd bull. He must have just got his ass kicked by the herd bull or something. Um, but he was a he was a nice uh, nice six point bull, and uh, he's bugling his ass off, you know, and and he just starts coming right in and i could see him from a couple hundred yards out just in between the trees he came down he came down one of the hillsides into a valley and then right up the hillside that i was standing on and um i watched him start walking up the hillside he's probably you know 60 70 yards in front of me and i pull back and um he's coming closer and closer and right about where i thought 40 yards was um, he kind of, he was behind this little tree. So I'm just sitting there watching him. And, uh, I was hold, pull, my bow was held back for so long. You ever do one of those like jerks? Oh yeah. And, and that happened to me. I'm like, oh shit. And, and he saw me. Um, but he, he, he definitely couldn't, he, he didn't know what I was or, or anything like that, but he did, he turned around and, he got right outside of that tree, and I put my pin on 40 and just let it go. And I I heard it smack that bull, and he runs off. So I'm all excited. Um, I'm like, yeah, this bull died for sure. This is this is really great. I'm, I'm starting to, like, hoot and holler. I walk up. I find my arrow. It was a complete pass-through, blood all over it. I'm like, this guy's dead. And... Uh, the the herd bull was way over was over on the other side of the ridge and he's still bugling crazy and I'm like, well, why don't we go let this thing die and you know you and you and I go over and try and pull this herd bull off his cows and I'll call for you and uh, my cousin's like, ah yeah maybe but let's let's go let's go make sure we have a downed one before we go after another one. You're like, man, yeah. I know I got this out. <laughs> yeah. 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 At least I'm you like, felt confident, man. I mean, uh, so many people I see, and I'm sorry to cut you off here. It's just something I've been seeing a lot this season is so many people are like, oh, man, I, I feel awful as soon as I took the shot. And I've just been hearing it so much. I'm like, do you or do you like, are you just like second guessing yourself? So I do like the confidence because, I mean, in your friend, and then obviously your cousin being like, well, hang on, let's go check. It definitely sounds like a good team system there. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's he's always around to calm me down. I get really excited. Oh, so. dude, I know I'm the same way, man. That's why we get along so well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's really it's really good teamwork between me and him. I mean, we've we've been hunting together since we were 12 years old. So, um, but uh, but yeah, he he he's like, yep. Let's make sure we have a downed one. We're gonna wait a half hour and uh, you know just just go from there. I'm like, all right, cool, cool. Um, and this bull, after I shot, he he ran back down the ridge and over a hill, so I couldn't see him or see see if he dropped. 
Um, but everything, everything I was seeing indicated we had a, we had a good hit. This bull didn't go a hundred yards. He was, he was dead. So we, uh, we get my arrow. We find the, we find the blood trail. We start going and then 20 yards turns into 50 yards, turns into a hundred yards, turns into a half a mile, turns into two miles and uh it's getting dark and i'm like what the heck and uh you know you go through this was like this bull was shot at like 7 30 in the morning and now we're oh. we're, we're touching 7 30 in the evening oh, just following blood trail and i'm like man it just felt so good i mean the the blood was the right color a complete pass through man what the heck happened uh so we marked we marked where uh where my last blood trail was and uh we went back to we packed our stuff up went back to my cousin's house uh he had to he had to go to work the next morning because it was his uh it was his last day off and i was i was only there for another day well that night it poured down rain so when i got there the next morning to continue the blood trail it was it was gone that's a nightmare that's every hunter's nightmare is when it starts raining after that yeah yeah so what i did was i went all the way back to where i originally shot the bull and um you know i i started ranging and it turns out where I thought was 40 yards was probably, you know, between 30 and 35 yards where he was actually sitting or standing. And uh, at that point, I'm like, all right, I definitely made a high shot. And that's either a single lung or I hit that that pocket you know, there's that little pocket where you don't, you don't hit anything that's, you know, direct vitals and this bull is just gone and he's, he's alive and well. And that's at that point, that's what I was really hoping for. But I spent my whole last day there just zigzagging all over the place. I think I walked like 18 miles that last day, just zigzagging all over the freaking place um most people would have just went out and said screw it and hunt him man i'm glad you had at least enough respect for the animal to say hey let me just make sure <laughs> you know yeah. let me just yeah. make sure yeah and i i walked down and i targeted like you know if i was hurting this is where i would go um i thought about there's a there's a facebook group called rocky mounting rocky mountain hunting recovery and it's a it's a group of tracking dogs thought about calling them but i had to i had to leave my plane was scheduled for the next day so i didn't have enough time to do that but i spent that whole entire day just zigzagging all over targeting areas where you know i would probably go die if i was going to go die <laughs> nice. just just couldn't just couldn't find them and uh so i i posted a a thing on uh there's there's a couple different Colorado elk hunting pages on Facebook. Just posted the general area that I was hunting at, and 
I had a picture of the bull. It was a really crappy picture because it was from far away um, before we started calling them in. And I'm like, if you see a bull that looks like this that ended up dying, you know, definitely reach out. But at that point, I was hoping, you know, I didn't I didn't hit him fatally and he was he was still alive. And, and that's honestly what I thought, because, you know, I covered I covered a lot of ground and, you know, never found him. But you never know. So flew back and like two or three days later, I got a message on Facebook saying, uh, from, from this lady saying, Hey, I think I found your elk. Um, and it was, it was about 10 miles from where I shot him. 10 miles. Yep. Yep. So he just like, what, like just bolted. (laughs) It's like, yeah. On he and and the entire time we tracked him, he never bedded down or anything, um, which was really what made me think that he wasn't going to die because he went right. he's he went a few miles without ever even bedding down. Um, but uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, it was a it was a disaster. Um, what felt really good, and you know that's that's just what archery hunting is i mean it's yeah it's uh it's tough but uh yeah i ended up i ended up getting the getting the antlers and head of the bull to remind me of the disaster of of a hunt that it was but you know all you can do and and uh, i i I know a lot of people have I, i almost hate hearing it as an excuse but i like to hear it as a learning experience of like hey you know, because one guy I talked to, he missed like three, I think he missed like three deer, or he hit the deer, but for some reason couldn't find him, and I was at that point where I'm like, all right, man, it sounds like you like, you know, like you might need to go back to the drawing board here, because there's something going on, whether it's your equipment or an equipment failure, or, or something, something's off for you to shoot three deer and all of them still not be found, and come to find out. Uh, you know, he, I can't remember what it was. I want to say his sight was loose or something, but he figured it out and ended up shooting a, a nice buck the next day. But you always, it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, we always tell ourselves, I guess, as like humans or hunters, like, Hey, what did I do wrong? What can I fix? Sometimes there isn't anything, but still you want to, you want to say, okay, well, there's nothing I can do. Like, let's just call it and maybe it won't happen again. It does happen in archery, but also you always try to find that balance. Me personally, I always try to find that balance of like, okay, well, let me just make sure. Let me do a checklist and make sure everything's good. And yep. then, it, I mean, because, dude, we know how it is, man. There's so many very, it could be you freaking had a hiccup or heartburn mm-hmm. and moved the wrong way, you know? Yeah, in this case, I was just probably, you know, five seven yards off on you know guessing the yardage on the bull and oh, so that's, uh, hmm. you know what i what it i mean what i think happened was is i just single lunged him and oh. he was just able to just keep going um, well i know if they're anything like whitetail i know tucker's brother shot a nice big mountain buck a couple years ago and it ran i want to say it ran a few miles and when they found it, double lung shot, both lungs, they said, looked like a deflated balloon, but it still kept trucking, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're tough animals, man. They really are. That's crazy. Especially elk. They're, elk are so big. It's like, you know, the the other elk that I've shot in the past, it's like they don't even know they're hit. Hmm. Like, they're, they're so big. Like, you put an arrow through them, and they just stand there and look at you <laughs> until they just fall over. 
you know that's crazy man yeah it's one of those things where they're like did i get bit by a snake or stung by a bee (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean they're they're tough animals and you know i have it as a reminder of you know that experience and you know it's been a it's been a long time since i've had something like that happen to me and uh you forget how crappy it feels. Oh, yeah, man. And you know what? It, it's one of those things where it's – I completely understand the feeling you had because I, I've always considered myself a very successful hunter. You know, growing up, we were just like body droppers. You know, we just – I was always a good shot with a shotgun. And I was always a good shot with a rifle and a bow. And, you know, I was talking to someone the other day. They're like, "What are your, what's your draw length? I'm like, oh, hang on a second. I can't remember because I don't get into the gear junk. You know me. I don't get into the, the – gear joint part i'm just a i just like hunting i enjoy um hunting and i enjoy being successful i'm more of a go-getter hunter than than the gear junkie and uh you know that's that's something that that uh you know i tell people it's it's like um um you know i kind of forgot where that where i was going with that uh someone pulled up in my driveway but i um uh it was it's something where it almost makes you, it happened to me this past year, you know, with my turkey and then actually a couple other things. And then finally I was like, all right, we got to tighten up. We need more range. Right. Like me and you had talked about it, more range time. Um, you know, how many times do I go out and practice shooting my shotgun? Zero. So that needed to change. I got to the point where I hadn't failed in so long that I was like, hey, uh, I forgot what this is like to, you know, quote unquote lose and it's really crappy feeling, but it almost brings you back to reality of, okay, hey, let me, because you're a very checklist and organized person. So I feel like you're like me where it's like, okay, let me, let me go back to the drawing board, make sure all these variables are good. And then, you know, if it still doesn't pan out, we can reevaluate. But I think a lot of people, they, they get, I'm glad it happens, man, because it's like, I don't want to say it's going to make you a bad hunter if it doesn't happen, but it almost like brings you back to reality of like, okay, I've killed four bulls in color or four elk in Colorado. And then I miss one. You're like, what's going on? Like, I don't, you know, I always kill my elk here. And I'm sure that plane ride too is not, (laughs) you're probably all up in your own head and. Oh, it was, it was miserable and it, it's, it still is miserable. I mean, I got the head, but it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like I got one. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the head is on my wall as more of a reminder to tell people the story that it always, you know, it doesn't always work out and I'd rather that elk be alive than its head sitting on my wall right now based off of what happened, you know, cause I got grown meat out of it and, you know me, I'm not a trophy hunter. I like to kill shit to eat it. Right. You know? That's primarily so, what you guys, your meat source is. So, yeah, I mean, that's crappy. I mean, that was a lot of meat. Yeah, I mean, we haven't we haven't bought meat from the store in six years. I mean, we get all our meat source from stuff I kill throughout the year. So, um, yeah, it was pretty disappointing, and it, it's still disappointing. But, you know, the story needs to be told. And yeah. you know, no matter how, how many times you're you're successful or how much you practiced you know there's always there's always that chance of failure and this is probably more of a failure than missing altogether or that elk still being alive out there for somebody to make the right shot on but you gotta you gotta go back and understand that's that's all part of the hunting experience and you know you can't you know there there's a there's a 
book that we we had to read in high school high school called Wuthering Heights. I don't know if you ever heard of it. No, no, uh, I haven't. But it's about about this guy Heathcliff and his his life was all about the highest of high and lowest of lows. Like you could you could choose to live your life sitting on like the average of like you're kind of happy and you're kind of sad. But this guy he experienced the highest of highs with life and after that he would drop down to like this complete depression, the lowest of lows. And I think they go hand in hand. They really do. And and that's kind of what the book was, was about of living your life as a average person who just sits there and, and goes through it. You're, you're never super happy, but you're never super sad. Or you could live life on the edge where you experience the, you know, greatest things, but they also come with the, the most depressing things. And I, I relate hunting to that all the time. I mean, the, the experience of success is so exhilarating and always brings you back for more. But oftentimes you have these experiences that are just completely gut wrenching. Oh, and for sure. this is gonna, this is gonna weigh on me for, for months. Oh, if dude, not, it, it will. If, it will. Not, if not more than that, but yeah, you know, you come back and you do it again and you have that success and then there, the feeling is like no other. You know, I always, I, I, I talked to someone not too long ago about this. I was like, man, if you could think of all the people who have actually gotten out of hunting or stopped hunting or lost the passion or whatever, you know, reason you want to say, but um, think about how many people that that's happened to where they've lost something and they've spent about $1,500 going on an elk hunt and shot a bull, thought it was great. Everything was great blood. And then they don't find it. And you know, they, they sit there and they, they wrench themselves like, ah, just throw in my hands. It's, it's that drive to keep pushing and being better. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I, that's one thing when we went back to that excuse of, I call it an excuse, but not a negative connotation of, bow hunting you know we always hear if someone misses a deer doesn't find their deer well that's that's a blood sport that's bow hunting oh 100 it's right um but also you always have to be like how can i get better i would be gut wrenched just from um not being like i would have been blowing that lady up like hey man what did you did you happen to see like <laughs> if the arrow was still there or like did you happen to see if a vital was you know i would have probably been really annoying about it trying to figure yeah. out like did i did i hit a vital did i hit high shoulder did i did i armpit it did i you know whatever yeah i, I pretty much knew what happened at that point um the the problem was too is that the the lady who found it i don't think she was a hunter i think she was <sighs> she's just a horseback rider who happened to stumble upon it um well it was but, nice of her to at least let you know yeah yep yep but yeah, it was uh, it was an experience overall, and you know one I definitely won't forget. Um, but that's just that's just how it goes sometimes. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, it it definitely sounds like it was an adventure, and you know what? It sounds like if it's been a long time since you've been humbled, uh, as crappy as it sounds, it's like okay, well at least you got it out the way. You know, you got your you know back to reality kind of thing. I mean, that's how what happened with me with that big big gray this past year i was literally so shocked that i had missed a bird 30 40 yards in front of me that i couldn't even shoot it twice you know i could have easily probably shot it twice 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I just was so shocked and flabbergasted that like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know how many birds I've dropped? I've shot birds at well past before they even had all this new shotgun shells and stuff. I've killed birds far out yeah. and I'm just like, yeah. man, I can't believe I missed a chip shot. And, and it's, old, old Gray had you going. He's still alive. We got him on camera. He's still alive, but he uh, he had me going, man. I lost sleep over that. All I could think about was, all right, tomorrow morning I need to get up early. I need to shoot my shotgun some more. And even now, I've I've been going probably at least once every two weeks, um, and yep. I've been shooting the shotgun and just trying to make sure that I just, I just I think where it was, man. I had gotten so into bow hunting over my you know late 20s that i was like okay i went from gun hunting at my at an early age to bow hunting hardcore like most people do and then i'd gotten more into you know using the shotgun so i'm like i kind of skipped i guess things and i and, and that's the thing i was out here shooting the bow all the time but i wasn't shooting the shotgun so you just assume well bow hunting's harder well they're they, yeah that may be true but that's not apples to apples here they're two completely different weapons and they have to be shot different ways so just because you're proficient at the harder quote unquote harder one you know you think that pulling a trigger is easy until you miss and you're like well wait a minute i aimed and shot why didn't i kill it um yep. you know it's 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 small man it's something so small but it's it's just as much as get like you're the one that told me that you're like you got to get out to the how many times you've been out shooting i'm like yep. none ever <laughs> like yep but, yeah i mean I mean, I, I see that all the time with, you know, archery hunters that don't kill a deer in archery season. They go out with the rifle and they miss these chip shots. And they're like, well, I could shoot my bow like this. I'm like, well, when's the last time you picked up your rifle when I actually shot it at a target? Right. Like, oh, man, I couldn't tell you. Well, yeah, when I sighted it in, I shot it twice and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I had a I had a buddy last year, you know. 200 yard chip shot on a on a doe and uh you know had a good rest and everything and and ended up gut punching it and we we had to track that thing for like three miles before we found it in the dark oh, man. and like well when's the last time you shot your rifle dude and he's like oh, man i couldn't even tell you i got one with a bow the past two years and i haven't had to i haven't had the need to bring my rifle out and i'm like well there's your problem Yeah. Yep, just like I mean, we we that's that was always the I think you had said at one time, you know about about crossbows. You know, people think oh, just because you can pull the trigger, you're automatically going to kill something. It's just so much more, so many more variables to it, and, and each weapon is different. So you have to shoot each weapon to really truly be proficient at it and then if yep. that happens and you miss or something happens and you're really gonna have to go to the drawing board but you know, that's the thing about being a human man uh anything that's that's human or man-made or just being a human yourself it's always gonna have that risk of of uh something happening yep, yep. so no, you're Let's talk a little bit. Let's okay. So we we've we've talked about the crazy adventure in in Colorado. Shot a nice bull. Didn't get to find him. Horseback rider found him. And uh, but then you have another hunt. So then you yeah. go to New Mexico. Yeah. So I I drew this elusive New Mexico tag out of complete surprise. Um, now is it, there? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Is this the first time you've been to that state? Yeah, first time nice. ever. I've never even stepped foot in New Mexico prior to this. 
Um, and the, the tag I drew was a, was a muzzleloader tag. So, um, you know, I'm scrambling to find all the information I can about this unit, about, you know, all these different things, what the muzzleloader, what the muzzleloader laws even are, you know, you know, what kind of heads can you use? What kind of powder you can use? You know, all, all that stuff. Cause I, you know, it just, it just hit me by complete surprise. So I had about a month to figure all this stuff out. Well, the, the one day, um, and, and I went back and looked, I had a 7% chance of drawing this tag that I drew in New Mexico. Like I should have bought a lottery ticket. I was going to say, get your Colorado tag, your New Mexico tag, and then your Powerball ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was up shooting my, my rifle and I brought I brought my muzzleloader that I have up at the, the long range shooting club that I belong to. And, uh, the one guy, um, the one guy that I talked to all the time was there and he's like, Oh yeah, I build these long range muzzleloaders. And I'm like, what do you mean you build these long range muzzleloaders? He's like, yeah, I have these muzzleloaders. We custom build them. And, uh, yeah, we could shoot out to like 700 yards with them. I'm like, get out of here. You can't shoot a muzzleloader 700 yards. And, uh, he's like, yeah, I'll bring mine up and, you know, you could, you could shoot it and all that and, uh, you know, see for yourself. Like, okay. So, uh, so he, he brings up this muzzleloader and the thing looks like a rifle. I'm like, this ain't a muzzleloader. And he's showing me how you use it and everything. He's got this big 300 grain head for it. And, uh, and I'm like, this thing's legal in New Mexico. He's like, yeah, I mean, I hunt New Mexico almost every year. I'm like, get out of here. So, uh, so I shoot this thing and, you know, I'm hitting a deer target at 600 yards. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So, so, uh, so he was very, very kind of, kind enough to let me, uh, let me borrow that muzzleloader and take it on the hunt with me, which, um, yeah, I was extremely grateful for cause the muzzleloader I have is cheapo muzzleloader. I'd, you know, probably only shoot 50 yards with the thing. Um, but, uh, and, and I'm probably going to get one made for myself now seeing how awesome you think. <laughs> oh yeah. I, know. I was going to say, we have to give him a shout out and yeah. give him a little, give him a little plug yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. A and P A and P long range supply. He's uh he's a great guy and uh if you want to anything long range I mean he builds custom long range rifles I have a long range rifle that's built by him um and he does the the custom build muzzleloaders as well um and then he does a he does a long range shooting school and and all that stuff but AMP long range shooting supply in uh in Pennsylvania here um but uh but anyways so, um, you know, he's, he's talking to me about New Mexico hunting as well and, um, all that stuff. So, you know, I had some insights when I went out there and, uh, you know, he actually hooked me up with a, a group of guys that was going out there and, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to fly out there and, you know, hook up with these guys who picked me up and, and dropped me off at the, the location I was going to hunt. And, uh, you know, I'm really grateful for all that great, great group of people, um, that, that I met out there and, and were able to help me out some, but, 
Um, I ended up getting a one-way plane ticket. It was a five-day season. And because uh, because uh, the group of people that I was meeting up with were, were going to be out there earlier. And, uh, you know, they picked me up from the airport, took me to the area that I wanted to hunt. I, I was, I had all my camping gear and everything that I'd typically take. And I just started, uh, you know, camped out there, got there a day early, did, you know, one afternoon of scouting and, you know, saw some elk. I'm like, oh, this is going to be pretty good. Um, woke up the first morning and, uh, we're, you know, I was just trying to learn the land. I figured I was going to spend three days here just trying to figure out what these elk do where they're where they're going where they like to stay you know the lay of the land it was very very different than um the the areas where i've hunted elk before i've always hunted elk up in the mountains where it's you know really thick a lot of a lot of dark timber and uh this spot was you know more open country like a bunch of sagebrush and these like you know eight ten foot tall you know, pine trees. So, you know, most of it, you really couldn't see far. There was not really any glassing opportunities. So spent the whole first morning really hunting them. Like I would hunt them in archery season. Like I would just walk, a, walk a hundred yards and cow call a little bit and, you know, look, you know, wait for a bull to, to come into my cow calls. And, uh, so hunted the first morning and you know i heard some bugles early on but really didn't see anything um kind of relaxed i I found this this uh this mesa that i could climb up onto and just kind of glass down into some of the the bowls um that were around uh you know sat there ate some lunch you know took a little nap because i was pretty tired and uh I'm like, well, this is a pretty good spot to, you know, kind of see the area and, you know, find these elk and, um, you know, see what was going on. And this, this was primarily all BLM lands and there's, there's roads all over the place, but, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there and it's, you know, about an hour or so before dark and I hear a bugle and I, I pull my binoculars up and look over and I see a, a, a pretty nice bull hop over this ridge. And I'm like, okay, here we go. This is pretty good. And uh, I gave it, and he's he's probably like a thousand yards out. He's he's pretty far out. So I'm gonna give a couple cow calls, and you know, just kind of see what he does, and and make a stock on him, and and get close up to him so I can shoot him. Well, I I did a couple cow calls, and he starts bugling like crazy, and he's he walks down the ridge into this bowl that I'm overlooking, and you know, kind of walking in my direction. Um, you know, and, uh, I'm like, all right. Okay. So I look on my maps, I, I mark where he is, which direction he's going and, you know, where a good place, where, where a good place would be for me to go and stuck stock up on him. So he'll walk right into me. And, uh, just as I'm doing all that stuff, I see this truck there, you know, pretty far out. There's a, there's a road that follows a power line. I see this truck just like ripping down the road. I'm like, what the heck? So apparently they heard this elk bugling from far away somewhere and just started booking it down this, this dirt road. And, uh, they get out and start running after this elk and just start shooting at it. 
Well, these guys must have missed so bad that the elk looked at them and bugled at them and walked away. <laughs> like it was, it was the most ridiculous scene. I'm sitting there all pissed off because these idiots just ruined my opportunity. But you know, public land. Um, so I, I walked and I walked to where I thought the bull went. Um, it was pretty close to dark by this point, so. Um, I got, I, by the time I got to where I wanted to be and did a couple cow calls, there was probably 10 minutes of shooting light left. And I sat there for the last 10 minutes and, you know, he never did come in. I'm like, ah, man, that's sucks. So I went back to my tent, slept, woke up the next morning and I went to a, I went to a different area and, uh, I was climbing up this, this hill and I heard an elk bugle. Oh, okay. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. So I start walking towards bugle and I'm, I'm cow calling and it's, it's still really thick. Like you can't see more than 40 yards in front of you. Actually, most of the time you can't see 20 yards in front of you, but I, I got it. I got to this opening and I cow called and I hear him bugle like right in front of my face. I'm like, okay, he's close. He's real close. So I'm sitting in front of this opening it's about 40 yards to the edge of the thicker stuff. I'm like, this bull's going to come out and I'm going to give him a 40 yard frontal and he's just done. But what, what started happening was just like, um, just like I talked about before, when you're hunting by yourself, that elk is not going to come out into that opening until he sees the cow to come out. So this, this elk was probably 60, 70 yards in front of me. And he could see the opening, but he can't see the cow that's supposedly making these calls. So he he wasn't committing to come out into the field. So the only thing I knew, what to, the only thing I knew to do is I got my bugle tube out, and it was I was too close to the elk to make a real you know a true bugle without scaring him. Um, so I ended up just taking my tube and I just started chuckling at him. And that really pissed him off. I could, he was bugling back. He was breaking trees. I mean, I could hear him breaking branches and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, I, I pissed him off enough. He's going to come in. So I'm just sitting there waiting. He's getting closer. And all of a sudden I hear boom. No. <laughs> and I hear the elk just run off. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I can hear you now, oh. bro. <laughs> I can hear you Man, now. like, like. Two times in a row. You're probably like, I hate New Mexico. <laughs> oh, God. I was so freaking mad. And uh, I think they, I, I don't know if the, they ever got the bull or if they missed it. Because I heard the elk run off and he ran off for a good ways. I heard him breaking stuff. But like, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, you know, that happened to me that evening and first thing in the morning someone shoots one in front of me again. I'm like, he got, and like, and, and it's not like, it's not like this is how I hunt Colorado where there's people everywhere. There were 25 tags issued for this whole unit. And I ran in to like three people in the first, like 48 hours. This hunt. Oh my gosh. You gotta be kidding. Me. You don't matter with everyone that's out there. <laughs> oh, geez. So, I sat there, I sat there steaming for about, you know, 15 minutes trying to figure out what to do. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, it's, it's public land. Right, um, right. What I found out is 
So I walked a mile into this spot, but what I didn't realize is on the other side of the hill, there's a road that comes right to the base of the hill. Oh, and I'm yeah. pretty sure these, I'm pretty sure these guys, they parked there, they heard the elk bugle and they just walked, they happened to walk right up into him and, and shot at him while I was, while I was calling him in. Turkey that, hunting, bro. I, Turkey hunting. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, that, that bull was like, you know, 60, 70 yards in front of me. I just couldn't see him. I was just waiting for him to commit to coming out into that opening and he was, he was going to get blasted. So at that point I was really ticked off. I'm like, I need to find a spot away from these freaking roads. So I sat there for a good, I went back, I sat there for a good, like two hours probably. And I drew out every single road in that area that I was hunting that wasn't on the map um redrew out the ones that were on the map and just looked for a spot where people had to freaking walk to get in there and i found a good spot but it was pretty far out i don't have vehicle or anything so i spent the whole afternoon hiking my ass to this spot that i was gonna try out not knowing if it was gonna be any good or not but uh I knew it was away from roads and it was away from people. And I'm like, there's been elk everywhere. You know, the, the second morning when I woke up, you know, I heard like 10 bugles and you're like, what way do I even go to, to go hunt? Um, but, uh, spent all afternoon getting my ass to this spot. I reset up my camp and, uh, it's a couple hours before dark and I started hiking up onto this one ridge. Well, I'm hiking up this ridge and I, I start hearing bugles. I'm like, okay, this is good. This is good. Um, and I get close to the, to the ridge and I see a bunch of cows over on the other ridge that, and I'm like, okay, there's gotta be a bull there. So I ended up having to low crawl like 50 yards to get to the, to the edge of the ridge without these cows seeing me. So I'm all set up there and I'm just glassing. I'm like, where the heck is this bull? There has to be a bull here. I heard him bugle. There's all these cows. And all of a sudden I see these, this tree just getting the trees, getting the shit beaten out of it. I'm like, okay, there's the bull. There's the bull. And uh, the only thing I could see are the, the top Ys of his antlers. And I'm like, this guy is massive. Holy crap. He is huge. And I can't see his body, and I can only see the tips of his antlers. And he's just raking, raking away at this tree. And then he takes, like, he takes a couple steps to the left, and now I can see his face and his entire rack. And, oh, dude, he was, he was huge. He's probably the biggest bull that I've ever seen in the wild. Oh. Um, and it right at right at 500 yards, um, I felt good with the muzzleloader that I had. I was practicing. I spent a week practicing every day out to 600 yards with the thing. So dialed my scope and, and all that stuff, and I'm just waiting. And like 15 minutes goes by, and, you know, the worst thing to be looking at the entire time is the giant rack of the elk, you know? It's like looking <laughs> with, down when you're up high. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With, without his, without his body being in sight and his body was behind the tree. He was, he was raking for the past, you know, previous 10 minutes. 
So I'm like, okay, all this elf needs to do is take two steps, and he is done. He is he is dead as could be. And uh, sitting there, and I'm just waiting for it to happen. I got I got my scope on him for 15 minutes, like to the point where your eye is getting tired from looking through the scope for so long. And uh, instead of taking two steps forward, he turns around and starts walking straight down the ridge. I'm like, shit. I had I had probably two seconds where I had his full body in view, but you know he was facing down and going straight down. So the only thing it was going to be was like a a back shot, and I'm like, I'm not I'm not doing that with a muzzleloader at 500 yards. That's just that's a sketchy that's right. a sketchy shot. So. I let him. I let him drop down, and uh, I I ended up getting up on my knees to see if he turned or where he went, so I could you know see him and try and you know get set up for another shot on him. And one of his freaking cows saw me, and uh, they all just bolted, took off. Like, damn! Oh, that sucked. But uh, I couldn't like, imagine what was going through your head after the Colorado incident. Did you oh get two truckloads of public land hunters that blow your hunt? Then you get a freaking monster bull in your scopes forever. Yeah. <laughs> cows that blow you out of there. I could have I could have shot all his cows a dozen times, and I had him in my scope for fifteen minutes. Like he needed to take two steps to the left, and he didn't do it. Oh, so frustrating. So, um, but you know, I, I, I recomposed and was like, okay, this is the second day you've been seeing elk all over the place. It's going to be fine. So I ended up walking over to the other side of the ridge and it's, it's, you know, about half hour before dark, the sun setting, um, and I go over to this other ridge and I'm looking down in this, this bowl it's it's this open area i'm like all right i'll give a couple cow calls right here and uh just start walking back to the tent for the night and i give two cow calls and i see this head pop out of the trees i'm like what the hell is that get the hell out of here i put my binoculars freaking another bull i'm like holy shit i'm like okay he's he's really nice too oh my god so i drop down and uh you know, he comes out into the opening and I can't really see him. I'm like, ah, oh, please turn this way. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a tree right in front of me out in the opening and I range the tree. I'm like, okay, if he walks in front of this tree, he's about 300, 350. So I dialed my scope to 350 and sure as shit, he, he walks broadside right across me, gets right in front of that tree. I gave one cow call. He stopped and looked at, looked at me. Boom, and I dropped him like a sack of potatoes. Dude, and uh, how wild is that? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was oh my god, it was awesome. It it all happened so fast. Um, wasn't wasn't expecting it. I'm like, ah, I'm just gonna cow call here, and sure as shit, one pops its head out of the trees. Like that's that's crazy. Yeah, I love that, man. That's that those it, type of hunts are, are so much fun because you're not you you've been shut down, you've been knocked yeah. down so many times, and you're just like, you know what? I'm gonna regroup, and then the opportunity presents itself. I'm glad you were able to close for sure. But two two really nice bulls, like you know, within a couple hundred yards of each other. It was, That's it wild. was awesome. 
I mean, he was a state. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, never stepped foot in New Mexico. And, you know, just I had, I spent the time and asked around and, you know, met some really great people. And, you know, I I was very fortunate. Um, And that's what a lot of it's about. I mean, these, you know, a lot of people are afraid to step into new territories, go to new places or, you know, hunt a new animal. But, I mean, you'd be really surprised how willing people are to help and, um, you know, be there for you, especially, you know, especially this tag because it's such a hard tag to draw. I think people are just naturally more willing to give up information. It's like, oh, you're not going to be here for another 10 years. So Right, right. That's how, um, that's exactly what Colin had said about Hawaii with the Axis deer. He's like, you know what, man, the success rate is so low with bow hunting that if you're a bow hunter, People, if you ask the right people, they were willing. But at the end of the day, man, we've said this a bunch on podcasts. Someone might tell you to go screw yourself and go figure it out, but there will, if you keep asking and you keep trying, someone will be there to help you. I mean, you help people, I help people. There's a ton of people outside of the, you know, just the service side community that are willing to help. But if you don't ask because you get shut, I mean, it's just like door knocking. You're if you don't have a hundred people tell you no then you ain't knocking enough doors, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I had, I had people who I've never met before pick me up from the airport and drive me to my hunting location. I, I packed this bull out real nice six point. I mean, he was definitely smaller than the one that I had in the scope. I'm like, you know, you saw the pictures of my bull. Yeah. uh, And like, you know, he's, he's pretty nice bull, but that the one that I had in my scope that I didn't get a shot at, I mean, he would have even blown him away. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I had people I'd never met before pick me up from the airport and take me to my spot. I packed this bull out to the road. They picked me up and let me share their lodge with them for the rest of the week while I was there. And I drove back with them, you know, helping them pay for gas. And, you know, I actually drove most of the time, like you guys relax, like you know, you've done so much for me. I'm going to drive like I drove like I don't know, it was 20 some hour drive. I drove at least 18 hours of the 20 some hours. Nice. Um, I would have done that uh, too, though. I mean, you were but, successful in but, all those hookups. <laughs> so, so grateful. And actually, one of the one of the one of the guys um, that was staying at the lodge because I, I came back, I it killed it on the second day and I just process the meat for the rest of the week but the last two days you know one of these guys he was an older guy um you know and he was having he was having a really hard time so you know i went i started going out with him and you know trying to get him a bull you know so he had a he had a guide and everything so me and the guide went went out with him and you know on the on the last day he was able to get a shot off at a bull he missed it unfortunately um you know, it's tough. He's an older gentleman. We had him on, we had him on two bulls prior to that, but he just couldn't find him in the scope, um, which was unfortunate. But then, you know, the last day he ended up getting a shot off on one, but you know, I was just going out and, you know, trying to help other people too. So, you know, I killed my bull. I'm going to go out and, you know, I took him to, I took them to the spots where I was really getting into him. And, um, the, uh, the one he ended up, the one he ended up missing was the big giant bull that I didn't get a shot off at. So, um, 
it was uh it was a great success and you know just really grateful for people being willing to help out you know i had a guy let me borrow his muzzleloader and i had you know a whole group of people that picked me up from the airport picked me up with my bull and you know allowed me to drive back with them never met them before but all really awesome great people and you know now i have these connections in the future and you know made a made a bunch of new friends so it was uh it was a great comeback story, um, you know, compared to the misery I experienced in Colorado this year. But yeah, for uh, sure. I mean, it yeah. still sounds like you had a little bit of misery for the start of New Mexico too. Oh, oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I was I was frustrated, but yeah, I'm so used to hunting really pressured areas that it's just it's just one of those things. At this point, you just shrug it off and yeah. and try. You know, my mentality was, okay, I'm going to keep running into people if I'm here. I need to get up and leave. There's a lot of elk in this area. I just need to find somewhere. And I just, I sat there and really looked at the maps. I'm like, okay, people are going to have to spend some time and effort to get here. And most of these people are road hunters. So I know if I get back in here, you know, I should still be into the elk because the elk are everywhere. And it's a lot less likely that I'll run into someone. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. I hear that a lot. I've heard that a lot from people that are successful out west is, you know, most of your people are going to be on that road or near that road or some type of structure. If you can if you can get out there, um, you know, your, your odds, I think, go a little, especially when you have like where you were on a 25 tag area or, or so and, and people actually do their tags i mean that's how it is here i want very pressured areas and you get some quotas and you're just like i mean even when me and you went to to green swamp we're like why are there so many people here but they were yep. all on the roads they they're yep. riding the roads at after gosh was the sun come up at like seven so they're riding the yep. roads till eight you know eight eight o'clock they're getting back in the truck Yep. So that's your time to to get out there. But man, that's that's awesome. I'm glad you're able to get it done, especially in a new state and all those all those uh, trials and tribulations. And you still were, you know, most people would have. That's a lot of. I would have been, you know, I'm a I'm a hot hothead sometimes. So I would have been like, even though I understand the whole public land thing, I own a lot of public land. It's still like, man, like, are you kidding me right now? Like, why did ten people jump out of a truck? And I yep. like they're in Afghanistan over here. Like, yeah. Yeah. poor yeah, elk, it, man. <laughs> like, luckily they didn't hit them. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but you know, I mean, I guess that's the moral of the story. Like, you get shot down a lot more than um, you find success when when you're doing this, especially especially western hunting. It's it's brutal physically and mentally and. You just got to keep at it. I mean, I've done this enough to know that, you know, you, st- you still feel those feelings of like, shit, is this even going to happen? Or, you know, I've gone three days without seeing an elk or I've gone three days without seeing a mule deer. Like, you know, it's really easy to just give up at that point. And yeah. I think a lot of people, most people do. But, they you know, do, I've, yeah. I've, I've done this enough to know that, like, Day four is always like the best day. You spend three days trying to figure it all out. That's when we got your bird. Remember, it was like the fourth day. That's when yeah. the tensions start getting high. You're like, all right, yeah. now we got we got to buckle down. We got to get this shit done. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
you know, I've, I've talked about this in the past in some of the podcasts. It's like, you know, there's you're it's it's very consistent for me, you know, especially hunting new areas or new species of animals or whatever. It's like you get to this point or even like even on a day to day basis when I go pheasant hunting, like you you get to this point where a couple hours goes by and you don't see anything and you just naturally get this feeling in your head of like this is stupid i need to turn around but my experience is when that feeling starts getting into your head whether it's you know 3 or 4 days into a western hunt or a couple hours into a bird hunt or you're sitting in your deer stand for 6 hours and haven't seen anything not and and you get to that point where you're where mentally it's just like a natural thing where it's like this is stupid why am i here i just need to turn around and go home right around the corner or a half hour later or the next day it it's like clockwork they just happen to show up and i think most people give into that thought that comes into their head of this is stupid I'm frustrated, I'm bored, you know, I'm tired, I want to give up, you know, especially elk and mule deer hunting. You're walking so much, you're putting miles right. on. After three days, you're freaking beat, and I don't care how good of shape you're in, you know. If you're on a 10-day hunt, like, three three days in, you're starting to feel like shit, especially if you're not seeing things. I truly think most people give up at that point. But my experience is day four – hour seven you know that next half a mile whatever whatever it is they just show up it happens like you get past that one mental thing like oh my god i am so glad i did not give up or i did not turn around but well, I'm you just know been... it's, it's easier it's easier for some people it's it's you know deer taking the path of least resistance sometimes it's easier to go down that main trail than it is to go through thickets that you can barely but at the end of the day it's like okay well, when they do that, then they might get shot. So it's, yeah. it's you know, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, I get it, man. Trust me. I've I've had my highs and lows, and obviously I haven't been out west yet. Um, that's something that I'm going to do. Chrissy keeps asking me. She's like, I'm surprised you haven't went with Brian yet. I'm like, oh, it's happening. We're going to do something, but I want to make sure that I'm in a, a better shape, um, which I've actually started working on. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, Dude, like it, it's gonna be hard. I mean, that the people that truly love what we do and the passion of hunting, it's not. You know what it is, man. Is somebody will go out there in a stand, like a you know private land or a secret public land spot, and they get successful. They kill something really nice, or or their goal, or what you know, whatever they want to do, fill the freezer, <coughs> and they get. I don't want to say spoiled. But they get, oh, cool, you know, that was good. I mean, when I first moved to Florida, man, I, I thought I was a killer in Virginia. Like, growing up, I was always known as, as that. Because well, my secret was time. I spent a lot of time. I would get off school, boom, go hunting. You know, I got my license when I was 15. So even though, you know, hopefully a statue of limitations is kicked in now, but even though you had to have an adult with you, my friends were all older than me. So we'd all jump in the, you know, my mom's car and we'd go hit the mountain, which was about 20 minutes from our house. And we'd go hunt, you know, public land or the Appalachian Mountains. And I grew up, so I was always in the woods. I was always seeing deer. I was always shooting at deer. We were always out in groups killing deer. And then when I moved yeah. to Florida, that's the mindset that I brought was, 
oh man, you know what you're doing. Just get out there at this time. Make sure you get in your stand. Make sure you shoot your bow. And then when I got here, it took me two years before I killed an animal. And I, it was not because of lack of time. I just had yep. no clue what I was doing. I was, I was doing things wrong. I was, I was, you know, you don't use thermals here. You don't, um, you know, even with Turkey, I've learned it's not best to go deep. It's best to stay near trails and the roads and, and things. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm obviously, you know, we always still learn and things like that. I'm still working on the, the decoy part of it. I want to get to the point where I have that down. But, you know, if you don't, if you don't experience those things, man, then, then you're truly not experiencing the hunting. And a lot of people do give up on that. And I think that's a great takeaway from this is, hey, if it don't suck, it's usually not worth it, to be honest with yep. you. If it's easy, yeah, it's cool and it's a win. And to me, a win is a win. But I've went out where I couple years ago tagged out in turkey first week rest of the season i was like well what am i gonna do now i guess i'm gonna fish and then that season you came down i think the season right after i was like i'm gonna bring a bunch of people down and we're all gonna hunt because i'm so successful and then that first year you came down we seen one bird and i'm like what yeah. unless yeah. we were off public land and we were seeing birds everywhere but uh you know i was sitting here like what is going on it's just like you said, man, when you hit that point where you're like, I want to give up, or this is stupid, or I'm wasting my time, or there's something more efficient I can do with my time, then that animal or, or whatever is right there waiting. You know, you, you, I always use this expression on all the podcasts. Normally, I always tell them that one of, one of your number one quotes that you've always said was, you know, when you're ready to go and you're ready to call it, wait 10 minutes. You know, yep. that's something I tell people all the time. And, and then once that 10 minutes is up, wait another 10 minutes. And you just keep that yep. cycle of, of don't give up and, and just keep pushing because you are hunting an animal that's trying to survive. Don't forget that. <laughs> like, right. would you walk out in front of someone during, you know, you, you wouldn't, you would, if someone was hunting after you, you would a hundred percent be doing the same thing. So that's always how I yep. look at it. You're exactly right, man. But well, man, that was definitely a great episode here. I'm sure me and you could go on forever. We're at about an hour and a half, but we'll definitely get you back on and, and we'll do some more. Um, I have uh, some trips coming up, which comes with trips, comes layovers at airports. Uh, usually that comes with those cheaper flights. Um, but I definitely want to uh, talk a little bit more. I, we still got to tell the story of your Grand Slam uh, you know, oh, yeah. that you were able to complete. I think that even though some time has passed, that's a, that's a solid story because that was something that was drawn out and, and had some failures and successes too. So. Oh, yeah. And I, th I think that's a that's an ultimate, you know, really good success story of going there, you know, hunting turkeys in Florida is different than anywhere else. And learning from that first failure that we had and making adjustments and hunting them differently. And, um, you know, how, how we did that, um, the second time around was, you know, was really good for it's really good for people to hear yeah and i mean you know at the end of the day too we we took advantage of an opportunity we had you know we had comp that was the main thing for success was we kept going back to the drawing board and i would say that's something that i've gotten more into especially since i bring people down for hunt links and i go other places if you are not successful like that that one time you came down here 
I, I was doing what I had been doing because that's what I was successful. But you have to go back to that drawing board and say, okay, hey, here's the variables. Here's what's going on. That was a very dry year for us um, here, yep. which is unusual. Um, and I'm like, you know, it's kind of spread the birds out a little bit. Um, the year before was very wet. It was a little bit easier to get the birds. And, and I'm sitting here like, Every day we went back to the drawing board and we, we, we came up with a plan. We both put our perspectives in it and then we were able to combine to make it happen. And at the end of the day, a win is a win. Um, but if we wouldn't have continued to keep switching it up, we wouldn't have killed that bird. Yep, that's right. You know, and that was a great morning, man. That was that was textbook for sure, being able to find a roosted bird and him being all hot and heavy, flying down to a decoy, shooting him with, you know, close range. That was, that was definitely an experience, too. Oh, heck yeah, man. Well, we, we don't want to spoil all the fun. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, we'll, for sure, man. We'll, we'll get you back little, on. little titillating, uh, you know, thing there for, for the next podcast. For sure, brother. Well, I appreciate you jumping on, man. So, Brian, where can everyone reach you? If they ever have any questions, um, want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get a hold to you? Yeah, sure thing. Um, you know, my Instagram is at bhalchak, B-H-A-L-C-H-A-K. Um, same thing on the Serviceside app. And, you know, you can always reach out to me on the Serviceside Facebook. Um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a pro staff here and, you know, I'm willing to help anybody out with anything they need. My expertise is in long range shooting, Western hunting and, uh, upland game, dog training, all that stuff. So any questions on that stuff, you know, definitely reach out. For sure, man. And Brian has a ton of resources in our hunt lab, um, on all these topics. So, um, I will put in the show notes, uh, a good link for everyone if they're or if they're interested in checking more into that but as always man i appreciate it uh we'll definitely be talking again soon we have to start setting up for next year which hopefully i can get up there and do some pheasant hunting something i've been really wanting to do and i'm really excited to see how birds uh bird dogs work because you know i do plan on getting me a dog um so i i'm, I'm really excited to see that i haven't got to work with dogs since i was a kid um and we ran bear dogs so whole different ball game but still you right. know houndsman houndsmanship is, is is always awesome and something that's really big here in florida and uh you know i've been neglecting the bird population here so i definitely want to try my hand at it but um thanks man we appreciate it and we'll definitely get you on again soon sounds good see uh, you everyone all right you guys are listening to whitetail theories podcast